You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul explains how the verb hibdil in Genesis holds one day, day two, and day four together, defining the functionality of the heavens in conjunction with the earth. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. So these asides I'm making to help my hearers have a little patience and also trust that we're getting there, but you know, we have to go word by word and technically wait. How many times I keep repeating, I'm going to say, oh, well, God is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. My question is, which God? Definitely not yours, <laughs> because yours does not fit in half a verse. You need four volumes to speak about it in modern theology. It is interesting to add in this conjunction that the Hebrew tohom in 1-2, which is translated as deep or abyss, resurfaces twice in 7-18 and 8-2, not to be found again in the Pentateuch, except in Genesis 49:25 and Deuteronomy 33:13 that in itself is impressive it's just there what is striking is that in both Genesis 7:11 and 8:2 to home is heard in the same setting as Hashamayim. That becomes important. Let's hear it. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth, and in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. In 8.1, it's the opposite of open, is be closed, but the same double. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed the rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually at the end of 150 days the waters had abated in 8 1 through 3 the tight relation between the deep and its parallel the waters and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. By the way, remember, this wind that came in 8.2, in Hebrew, it is 
from the same root as ruah. <laughs> so in Hebrew, the connection is much more powerful. So the tight relation between the deep and its parallel, the waters in Genesis 1-2, on the one hand, and the heavens on the other hand, is soon corroborated in the primary function of the heavens described over the length of the second day of creation, which is the separation between waters and waters. And I read this text. But let me repeat the importance of the firmament, which is something solid, that's how the people conceive, is mentioned three times. In verse 6, once, in verse 7, three times, in verse 8, one more time, at which time we are said that it was called heavens. Still, as usual in scripture, you see, you hear in my presentations so often, still and yet, which means we have to wait until we hear the whole story. Still, as usual in scripture, especially in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, there is always something more than what meets the ear the first time around. So it would be worth our while here to go into more detail so that my hearers would appreciate more the forcefulness of the original phraseology as well as vocabulary and would delight in the scriptural text as though they were the original addressees. That's a treat for my hearers. I'm making out of them denizens of Minnesota and all North America as the original addressees. Now many of them are winking to one another, but we were already in spirit with Jesus when he was in Palestine. And half of them don't know where to find Palestine on the map. That's sad. This can be easily done by comparing the accounts of day one and the second day with the account describing the fourth day of creation. The hearers will immediately notice that all three revolve around the verb hibdil, that is translated as separated, which is encountered only in three instances to disappear and not to be found again until Exodus 26.33. So, what is the big deal of Hibdil? That's the first way to look at it. It's powerfully intentional. Conclusion. It is this verb that holds together the three accounts in that it defines the functionality of the heavens in conjunction with the earth, the domain of the human beings, the addressees of the scriptural message. Notice that its mention is skipped on the third day, which specifically deals with the earth, verses 9 through 13. Although it would have fit in verse 9, 10 to point out the separation between land and sea. You see, technically speaking, in my class, I would not allow you to say God separated land from sea. It's not written. And God said, let the waters under the heavens 
be gathered together and we'll come back to that into one place and let the dry land appear be seen and it was so and God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas twice but you don't have Hibdil separated and God saw that it was good so technically the author is drawing your attention to one day day two and day four as connected through this Hibdil so the only plausible way to account for the absence of Hibdil separate on the third day is to force the hearers to realize that the different actions of the days one through four are to be taken together as dealing with one topic that was introduced at the outset of verse two, the earth. So the impression is first and foremost auditive. At the end of the third day, the hearers are prone to assume that their earth as ground on which they live Notice the later connection between Adam and Adama in chapter 2. Was not only completed, but also functional with all its vegetation to feed them. See later 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So this was done as well as the essential daily cycle that was already established in verses 3 through 5. However, at hearing the same Hibdil, which controlled day 1 and the second day, reappearing on day 4 after its omission on day 3, and actually bracketing the fourth day activity at the beginning, Hibdil, through its use at the beginning in verse 14, at the end in verse 18, as an inclusio, the hearer's mind is forced to recollect the activities of days 1 and 2. Actually, the hearers do not need to recollect since beyond Hibdil, the entire phraseology of verses 14 through 18 is reminiscent of that of days one and two. On the one hand, the unnamed sun and moon are introduced as meorot, luminaries, enlighteners, from the same root as or, light, that God has made on day one. On the other hand, the author's insistence, thrice in verse 14, 15, and 17, on referring to the sky as firmament of the heavens and not just heavens cannot be explained except as an intended pointer to day two where the heavens are actually the name God gave the firmament Rakia, whose function is to hibdil but separate between the waters above it and the waters below it. Since the waters below have been dealt with and actually named seas in the first part of day two, the thrice use of firmament of the heavens on day three 
is to bring into the picture the waters above and by association the rain which is essential to the production and growth of the vegetation that is the main topic of day 3 verses 10 through 12. So this combination of the reality of heavens and earth is really put genially. One has to hear the story as it stands and make the interconnection and through this to enter into the world of the author which is constructed by the author. He was not doing geography. I mean, an aside, this astute literary device of skipping on day three Hibdil, an essential element of the entire picture of days one through four, in order to underscore not exclusion, but rather commonness, is not a figment of my imagination, since the same authors will soon use it again in dealing with day six in order to impress upon the hearers the basic commonness of nature between land, mammals, and human beings. Indeed, it is, to say the least, strange and unexpected. We'll talk about that, but important aside, is that the procreation among land animals is not linked to divine blessing while that of the fish and the fowl of the air on the other hand and that of humans on the other is expressly associated with that blessing if not making it expressly the expression of that blessing. The hearers have no possible choice except to hear that the land animals and especially the mammals who beget just as humans do are subsumed under the one blessing of day six that overarches humans and animals alike. But more on this matter in its own time. So I brought it as an aside to invite my hearers not to start questioning my hearing of Susan. I am submitting my hearing to the words and the sequence, and the phraseology of the author. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.